Hi, everyone. This is an exciting weekend. We're ending COVID restrictions, and uh, this week people are coming to church almost as normal with uh, no restrictions and uh, no masks, and uh, everybody can sing. So that's wonderful. We're also introducing our associate pastor of ministry, Pastor Troy Nielsen, and he's going to be sharing the word with us today. Hey, everybody. We are in the middle of a series called I Used to Think, But Now I Know. It's loosely based on the book Love Does by Bob Goff. I love Bob Goff. When I read his books, I think when I grow up, I want to be Bob Goff. When you read his stories, you want to meet him. And when you see how he treats other people, you want to be his friend. If you want a summer read for you and your family, Love Does is a great book to read. This week, we're going to talk about this. I used to think that words said about us describe us, but now I know they shape who we are. The idea that Bob stimulated is something that I think we all know. That the words people have used for us shape us, and we also shape others by our words. So if leadership is largely influence, we should choose carefully how we speak to others in order to bring out God's best in them. Today we're going to talk about an idea that I think almost everyone's going to say, yeah, that's a great idea. But that's the problem. An idea just stays an idea until you put some legs on it and apply it to your life. But... For this to make a difference in your life, you need to do it. You you just don't get credit for listening today. Today is specifically for Christians. I I believe that we have a great job to influence people around us every day. Now, if you don't call yourself a Christian, I'm not saying you can't play. You, You can try it. It's optional for you. You can still try this stuff. But if you think of yourself as a Christian, you need to play. Let me set this up a little. Every day, we have conversations with different people in our lives. But have you really listened to what you're saying? There's a great passage in a letter that a guy named Paul wrote to his protege, Timothy. And as I read this, listen to what Tim, uh, Paul is really saying to Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. Timothy, I thank God for you, the God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted, and I will be filled with joy when we are together again. Here's, here's Paul's encouragement, verse 5. I remember your genuine faith, for you shared the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. Did you hear what Paul was saying? Paul was influencing Timothy by encouraging him in his giftedness, the good things that Paul saw in Timothy. Paul talks about the qualities that he likes in Timothy. He really focuses on his faithfulness. I genuinely believe he saw these qualities in Timothy. There's some research done in what was said in conversations and what they found was quite interesting. In your conversations in work, in your conversations with your spouse, your dating conversations with your kids, whatever it might be, they found an encouragement to criticism ratio. They found that in healthy conversations, that for every three comments of encouragement, there were only one comment of criticism. Now, I've heard and read that average conversations, the ratio is vastly different. In average conversations, the ratio is six comments of criticism to one comment of praise. There's a huge difference from healthy conversations to average conversations. In an average conversations, when you give someone encouragement, like, you did a great job, maybe to a coworker, or when you tell your kids, you are a great table setter. For every one of those, there's six of, why don't you ever listen to me? Why didn't you ever do a good job? Why can't you be like your brother? You are so much like your mother. I I don't know why I put that last comment in the criticism side, but anyways, the ratio is six to one. For every six negative statements, there's only one positive. Now, I know you, you think this might be a generalization and it's not you, but wherever you think you are, 
listen to your conversations. You might already think of yourself as an encouraging person, but think, how can you encourage people more? What would it look like to, you, to, to use your influence and, and help them to think of themselves better? You know, even if this isn't close to being true, this six to one ratio is average. I, I thought, this explains a lot. This explains why some of your workplaces are so negative and dysfunctional because the conversations are negative and dysfunctional. When the conversations are toxic, the workplace will be toxic. It explains why so many marriages struggle. Marriages are toxic when their conversations are toxic. It explains why there's so many messed up families because conversations are messed up. Even if six to one criticism or six criticisms to one encouragement stat is not even close. I don't think anyone's going to argue with me that we should encourage other people. We all think that encouragement is a nice thing to do. We, we just think it's not urgent. And that's the problem. Because if you just think it's a nice thing to do and it's not urgent, you will drift toward the six to one ratio. You have to be intentional to be encouraging. Today, we're going to talk about a principle that Paul is modeling to Timothy. What this principle is going to allow us to do is change our ratios. Let me ask you a question. When you look back on your conversation over the last week at home, work, friends, what was your ratio? Let me show you how it's going to help your conversations, how it's, how it's going to help your influence. Because most of us have three circles of relationship where we have three different types of conversations and this idea will change them all and all of these you can have influence in. Here's these three circles. You have, you have your inner circle. This is your husband, your wife, your kids, your brothers, your sisters, your BFFs, <laughs> the people you're most familiar with. Isn't it true that we sometimes take them for granted? Sometimes these are the people we are hardest on. We, we think, I don't need to encourage things with them all the time, right? They, they should know how I feel. Then there's your water circle, your influence circle. These are the people you might see on a daily basis, but you have a, you have a relationship then because of proximity. It, it could be the place you have influence, your, your workplace, your coworkers, your neighbors. I'm going to show you how encouragement is a great practice and why encouragement is even a great business practice. The last circle would be your, your life circle. People you have shallow conversations with, you know, the baristas, the dry cleaners, the grocery store checkers in your life. Sometimes these are the nameless, faceful, faceless people we run into every day. In a moment, you'll find that they need encouragement as well. Here's my aim. What if we at CLCC decided that we're not going to take any of these relationships for granted? What if we decided that we're not going to be an average six to one ratio? What would it look like to understand that we can lead anyone we come in contact with and influence them to help them see the good things that they do? What if we looked at these conversations as interactions of opportunity? What if we woke up every morning and we looked at every conversation as an opportunity to encourage? And we might pray, God, would you bless Susie? Like we think God's going to come down from the clouds and do something for her. And I think God says, I've blessed Susie. And that blessing has a name, and that name is you. Maybe you are an answer to one of your prayers this week. This verse we're going to look at says that not only does it bless the people in the circles, but it also blesses you. We'll see when we look at what Solomon wrote, it's a win-win. Not only these people in these circles, but there's something in this for you too. If you have your smartphones or Bibles, we're going to look at Proverbs chapter 11. If you're not familiar with the Bible, a lot of the Proverbs were written by a king whose name was Solomon, and he is referred to as the wisest man in the world. He gives us this principle as it relates to encouragement. And today we're not going to look at a full proverb, but just half. It's going to be the second half of this proverb, this verse. When you see it, you may think, what's so life-changing about that? How, how am I going to influence like that? We're going to, go a, we're going to, to dig deep in this, 
this, there's something in this for you. It will help you and it, it will improve your ratios. The encouragement principle we're going to look at is Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25. It says, those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Maybe you've read this a bunch of times, but let's not just pass it by. What Solomon is talking about is a huge thought. He's hinting that if we don't pay attention, we'll drift to the average six to one ratio. And he's saying, all of us need to be encouraged. Let me tell you something about you. Everyone who can hear my voice today suffer from self-doubt and insecurity. There's an international sign to see if someone needs encouragement. If they're breathing, they need encouragement. So check to see if your neighbor is breathing, because if they're breathing, (laughs) they need encouragement. All of us, to a certain extent, are all plagued by self-doubt, and and I can prove it. Ladies, let me tell you something about the men. I have a little insight into this. For every male listening, they they carry around this question. You, You may not know this, ladies, but this is true. The men may deny it, but they are lying. <laughs> but that's another problem. and We won't talk about that today. Here's the question that all the men carry around. Do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes to do this job? Do I have what it takes to be a good leader? Do I have what it takes to be a good father? Do I have what it takes to be a good husband? Because each and every day we go into the world that tells us, no, you don't have what it takes. The sad thing is, sometimes those same men come home and sometimes the conversation doesn't change and we might start to believe it and and at times it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. We are wrestling with the question, do we have what it takes? Not only out in the world, but also at home and that's a tough place to live. Guys, let me flip the question. Do you know what question your wife asks? They ask, does he notice me and who I am and what I'm doing? Does he think I'm pretty? Does he think I'm special? And ladies we're clueless. Guys, I, I can prove that the ladies are asking this. When they get their hair done, there's not one of them who runs up to you with a smile on her face and says, hey, I got my hair done. No lady has ever done that. You know what they do? They wait. They don't come right out and say that. Ladies, this is a cruel game. <laughs> they don't say something because it could wreck something. What it would wreck, I don't know. Um, No man knows, but it would wreck something. But at one point, the buzzer sounds in their heads. I don't know what the time frame is. No man does. And I think I heard once that one man found out. He was about to tell his friend, but he disappeared, and we've never seen him since. (laughs) But when the buzzer buzzes, when they ask without a smile on their face, you didn't notice that I got my hair cut? Guys, it is too late. There is nothing you can do to make it better. You can't say, I was just going to say something. No, you weren't. It's time to find the extra sheets because you are sleeping on the couch, brother. The warning lights should be flashing. Guys, you have failed the test. The point is they're asking, am I special? Do you notice me? And dads, real quick, if you have a daughter, do you know what society says to young women? It says they're not pretty enough, skinny enough, perfect enough, and they don't measure up to the computer-enhanced image of the supermodel that's not even real on the cover of the magazine at the superstore checkout. If you don't stop from your busy lives and make a point to tell your daughters they're beautiful, they're wonderful, they're special, let them know that you notice them. If you don't, the scary thing is you leave your daughters vulnerable. If we're not careful, we drift towards the six to one ratio. Do you know what's ironic? Do you know where we get this right and say all the right things? At funerals, isn't it it true? How many times have I gone to a funeral and the message is always the same? This was the greatest man who ever lived. This woman never did anything wrong. (laughs) I've been to some funerals where I knew that person wasn't the greatest person in the world. They they were super grumpy. Now, maybe they just didn't like me, but 
people still said they were great. You never go to a funeral where they said this, they were the worst person in the world. Now there's nothing wrong with saying nice things at a funeral. There's just one problem with giving encouragement at funerals. The person doesn't hear it. Don't wait to give encouragement at their funeral. You have to work at this. If you're not careful, we will drift toward the six to one ratio. So let's talk about how we encourage in our relational circles. Let's talk about our inner circle. Wives, you know how powerful your voice is. Husbands long to hear your encouragement. Guys, I don't know what you're, what you're like, but I know that I could have had a terrible day at the office. Maybe I'm facing a situation that we just can't see around or I'm dealing with a relationship that seems to go nowhere. Or I'm working on a project that just seems to be stalling. But when I get home and Andrea says that she believes in me and knows that I can do it, she tells me she knows that I can figure it out, that I can handle it. It makes the issue just a little easier. Wives, don't discount your voice. Parents, ask your kids the question of your ratio and get them to be honest with you because healthy conversations will raise healthy kids. Students, let me ask you a question. What's your ratio of criticism to your parents? Now, I know it's sometimes hard to see your parents as real people with real feelings. You might think, my parents are so dysfunctional. Well, they might be so dysfunctional because of this six to one ratio. Let's talk about our influence circle. And I'm, I'm a little surprised how little this happens because encouragement is huge. It's huge. If, you, if you're in charge of people, you may know that it's important, but it, it's seen as just a nice thing to do, but not a necessary thing. The, the crazy thing is it doesn't cost you anything to encourage people. If everyone is looking for it, wants it, why don't we do it more? If everyone is looking for encouragement, how about making the people that work with you feel valuable? What's that worth? What is it worth to have people work with you who are encouraged? It's probably more than you can pay them. We can't put a price tag on encouraging people. If you're a boss or a leader or a manager, here's a question that you need to ask your employees. You need to ask, how are you doing? You need to ask that twice as much than what are you doing? You need to ask them, how do you like it around here? How's life? This is going to remind you that this person is more than an employee. This is a person who's plagued by self-doubt. You know, as a leader, that the bottom line suffers when the conversations look like the negative six to one ratio. It reminds you that this person just isn't an employee, but a person who has feelings. They have ups and downs. What does it cost your company to encourage your employees? Next to nothing. That's a good investment. The final, life, the final circle is our life circle. When there are conversations with whoever, they should always be seen as an opportunity for encouragement. You might think it's not a big deal if you don't encourage when you run into something you've never talked before, but encouragement is never small when you are the one receiving that, that encouragement. Isn't that true? You have an opportunity to make a difference in someone's life that you may never see again. Just a side note, ladies, if you're dating a guy and you can never, can never find a waiter that ever does anything good, or every time you go to a coffee shop, he has something to complain about, find another boyfriend. Okay, rant over. When we wake up to the circle of conversations that we have, we will make a point to get away from this six to one ratio. Now, you might be sitting back today and thinking, what about me? Troy, you missed me. You didn't tell anyone to encourage me. I need some encouragement. Could you tell someone to do that? Well, here's why some of us haven't, haven't received the encouragement that we need. Many people don't feel good enough about themselves to let you feel good about yourself. 
Many people don't feel good about themselves. To let you feel good about yourself. For some of us, this explains the home that you grew up in. Why your parents weren't that encouraging. Explains the workplaces that we live in. So what happens? They don't feel good enough to encourage. So they don't. And then you don't encourage. Everyone is waiting for everyone else to go first. And we get stuck in a stalemate. I don't get encouragement because I don't have encouragement. It's a, it's a vicious cycle. That's why this is such a brilliant statement from Solomon. Solomon says this. When you refresh others, you will be refreshed. He doesn't say, wait until someone refreshes you, then in turn refresh someone else. He's saying, don't wait. You go first. Change the ratio. There's a principle at play here. It's Solomon's principle. When you refresh others, you will be refreshed. It's not a promise or rule, so it won't happen all the time. This is huge insight from Solomon. When you replenish others, there is something in this for you. I don't want you to think this is just a a good idea. Let's put some legs on this. Here's my homework. In your circle of conversations, listen to what you say in your conversations. It might force you to look for good things to say. My hope is that we lean more towards encouragement rather than criticism. Then watch what happens. Let's pray. Father, I'm so grateful for this very short verse from Solomon and how we saw Paul treat Timothy. God, I pray that we would look for different ways that we can encourage people in our lives in our three different circles. Give us the grace and the insight just to be able to speak the right thing at the right time. In Jesus' name, amen. In a moment, there's going to be a question pop up on your screen. I'd like you to take a minute and discuss with those with you or think about it yourself. Here's the question. How has someone who encouraged you helped you in the past? How has someone who's encouraged you helped you in the past. Take a break now and talk about that. In Bob Goff's book, Love Does, Bob tells a story of when he was a kid and played baseball. He says that he was never really good, that the only times he got on base when he got hit by the ball. I think that's a painful way to get on base. He said he would swing with his eyes closed and when he wasn't hitting the ball, he was striking out. He tells a story that they were in their very first playoff game and the game was tied in the fifth inning. He was up to bat And he found that the pitcher was having trouble hitting him. (laughs) So he realized he had two strikes on him. So for the next pitch, he closed his eyes and swung as hard as he could. And he ended up hitting a home run. They did end up losing the game. But about a week later, Bob got a card in the mail from his coach that said, what a hit. You're a real ball player. The coach didn't have to say what hit because it sounds like there's only one. Still 40 years later, Bob remembers that story and continues to tell it. He also says this. Words of encouragement are like that. They have their own power. And when they are said by the right people, they can change everything. What I've found in the following Jesus most of the time, when it comes to who says it, we are each the right people. And I've concluded something else, that the words people say to us not only have shelf life, but have the ability to shape life. So today, we're going to put this in practice. This week, you need to take the next step and actually encourage someone thinking about it like we're talking, thinking about it is just like talking about someone at their funeral. Take some time this week and like Paul, write them something. Maybe there's a teacher in your kids' lives, an employee, a boss. Maybe take your phone out right now and send them a text. Or if you want to think about it, put something in your calendar to write something, something encouraged, someone something encouragement. But do it. Encourage someone this week. Maybe you've been praying for someone to be blessed. Here's your opportunity to be an answer to that prayer. Our doxology for this series is in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20. 
And may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Have a great week. Hope to see you next weekend.